0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Miss Vindependent podcast. Today, I am super excited because we have a very special guest, Julian Brass. Julian specializes in coaching service-based entrepreneurs and high-performing organizations to get behind their brand so they can go beyond their brand and master their mindset. His expertise leads to empowering his clients to create a successful entrepreneurial life that unites the mind, body, and soul while generating a massive impact and income. He built and sold Notable Life and the Notable Awards, is the international best-selling author of Own Your Anxiety, a global keynote speaker and corporate trainer, and business advisor and investor in wellness brands. He is recognized as an award-winning entrepreneur who launched, built, and eventually sold Notable and the Notable Awards, one of the top online media brands for successful millennials in Canada. You can learn about joining one of his programs by joining julianbrass.com forward slash subscribe or following him on Instagram, which is also julianbrass. And don't worry, guys, because we will be linking these in the show notes. Julian, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today and
1: sharing your energy with us. We're so excited to jump into it and get to know who you are and what you do.
2: It's so good to be here with you all.
1: Definitely. So for those of you guys who don't know, Julian and I actually met at a fundraiser that we organized for the fires in Australia. I think this was right before the pandemic started back in February. And for those of you guys that don't know, I'm actually a yoga teacher. I don't actively teach, but Julian does on top of all the amazing other things that he does. And uh, I'll, let, I'll let Katie ask you about your story and, and get to know you
0: a little bit. Sounds great. So Julian, from what I've heard and the research I've done, you have an incredible story. So I want you to share that with our listeners before we jump in. And I want to ask you like how you came to write this incredible book called Own Your Anxiety, which, by the way, Nika and I have listened to multiple times on Audible and oh, have taken wow. a lot from so yeah, did you just wake up one morning and decide to write a book? How did you get there?
2: Well, first of all, thank you for the kind words. I really appreciate them. I take them to heart and I'm really happy to know that you enjoyed the audiobook because, you know, I I hosted it and <laughs> when it's your own voice for so long, you really just get sick of hearing yourself. So, it's good to know that listeners aren't getting sick of hearing me. <laughs> Very positive. Um so All Your Anxiety was basically the sort of manifestation uh, slash result of creating and selling a business and starting to get anxiety in that journey, which was a nine-year journey of building my former business and then selling it, and um, how I managed to sort of like go from being somewhat debilitated by it, but never sharing that with anyone, with, with not a soul in the world, because... Back in 2008, I was, you know, very much from the standpoint that, um, you know, society, especially back then, it kind of fed entrepreneurs, especially young entrepreneurs, and especially young male entrepreneurs, that we have to be like rock solid, have our shit together, can't ever open up about anything that is not a win. And, uh, you know, I took that to heart, I just wanted to be taken seriously as a 24 year old entrepreneur at the time. So I thought I could never talk about anything unless it is a win and a success story. So I suffered silently when I got anxiety for the first time, um, which, you know, I'm not, I'm not the, the person who grew up as a child with any sort of mental health uh, challenge. I was fairly easygoing and kind of always the class clan and positive. But um, when I turned about 24 years old and started Notable, which is my former company, Uh, and the notable awards. I know you have a lot of Toronto and Canadian listeners. I'm sure a lot of people may be aware or may be familiar, I should say, with the company. Um, Then it was at that time, my first real uh, foray into the world of entrepreneurship that I actually experienced uh, anxiety for the first time. And um, like I said, I managed to start, I, I managed to Um, at first I, you know, I effed up in all the ways one could possibly think of when you're trying to like cure yourself from something, uh, including in hindsight, thinking that the word cure or suffer and anxiety should be in the same sentence. Side note, maybe we'll get back to that later. Basically, as I started to grow, however, and explore my anxiety, I started to get much more aware that my lifestyle the way I was living, the thoughts I would allow into my mind, my lack of connection uh, with anything from a spiritual level, um, and the things that I thought were priorities were all things that were actually creating more anxiety and making the anxiety that I was, you know, feeling as this young entrepreneur trying to figure it out for the first time it was making everything far worse so it led me on a bit of a journey um on the side like whenever i could find some free time uh or frankly i started to make free time because i realized that my mental health physical health spiritual health was uh, at the end of the day more important than even my business health um i started to learn a lot and i started to go and you know learn from gurus travel uh to spiritual leaders uh dive into the world of of the East uh, as well as Western, um, you know, medical trends and data. And I kind of started just like hack the heck out of myself and my life. And eventually just like that of an athlete or a professional musician, when they're going, you know on stage or going on the court or the ice uh, and they, they take all of that anxiety which could also be called adrenaline and they manage to channel it into the task at hand to just crush it in their craft. I was able to start doing that in my old business life. And that's when my old business became more and more and more successful. And I think it's when I became someone who others wanted to be around more and more, you know, because all that energy that is anxiety generally is very negative and it's debilitating and it's kind of toxic even if a person doesn't know how to deal with it. So if you can however change it so you can start to direct it into a place where it actually fires you up in a positive way and it leads to you know dynamic thinking it leads to charisma it leads to natural source of energy flow then all of a sudden you know you're you're kind of like crushing it way more in the things that you want to crush it in mm-hmm. and you're also someone who is just far more attractive to others, whether it's, you know, hires or clients or, you know, anything in your personal life too. So I was able to start doing all that. And, um, you know, thankfully, and it wasn't easy. I want to remember listening to know that it wasn't easy, it didn't happen overnight. Like I effed up so many times on my pursuit to own my anxiety and I still do. The difference is that today I know if I'm doing something that it's going to spike my anxiety. And if I do it, I do it with intention and with consciousness. Uh, and that's the biggest difference, right? So, after you know it all sort of started to like work with me, and I could own my anxiety. Um, when I sold the business, I just really wanted to put something out there that was good for the world. So, you know, given the mental health epidemic that we've had for a long time, long before the COVID pandemic, I thought, you know, like what's something that I can add value to? And that kind of just came to me because. Uh, it seems like my perspective on anxiety is much, much different than um, the mainstream societal perspective on anxiety. And, you know, when you realize that like, hey, I got something that's really different and maybe it can help some people. And it's, it just, it's so like, like avant-garde compared to like what, you know, mainstream psychiatrists or mainstream media say, you start to feel a bit of an obligation to get it out there and just to help people. So that was like the sort of aha moment that really drove me to write the book. Um, And, you know, the book led to online courses and and keynotes and coaching and all that kind of great stuff, Um, which now led to a whole other stream of business that I'm doing, which I'm happy to talk about. But that's basically how uh, Own Your Anxiety came to life.
1: That's an amazing story, Julian, especially. Um, I think there's something that everybody can kind of take away from it, because if we're talking about anxiety, anxiety is just the body's natural response to stress. It's feelings of fear or, I guess, apprehension about what's to come and and fear about the future. And it can come out in any kind of different scenario, you know, whether it's selling your business and and trying to figure out what you're going to do next or, you know, for a lot of people, for like young kids, the first day of school can cause anxiety. So the fact that you suffered in silence initially, and um, is that is that something that is the right thing to do? I think that's something that we can unpack a little bit um, because you know you've you've created this amazing work and you've shared so much with the world, and I think there is something that everybody can take away from it. Um, so do you think that people should still be suffering in silence?
2: So yeah, it's a really good question. Um... Look, as much as I want to say that um, that you know, here we are in 2021, and the world has changed so much, and we're just so much more evolved. And you know, everybody is is more open, and every corporation now has some sort of mental health initiative. Um, you know, a lot of that is true, but at the same time, it's not entirely true. So I don't think that we should be running around in the corporate world. Uh, just completely wearing our emotions on our sleeves. I think to a certain degree, we still have to put our game face on. Um, but I do think that at the same time, it's important to understand where the safe space is within an organization or within our um, you know, business partners uh, or potentially even employees at times, depending on the environment. Like th- that one is a bit of a loaded weapon. Like it really depends on the environment that someone's in if they are the, the boss or the manager or the owner, the fan or whatever. Um, I do think that there are safe spaces and I, I've seen in my own life more and more as I, you know, have sort of like, I don't know, grown my profile and, you know, become looked at as a, as a bit of an expert on you know, various topics. Uh, when I'm vulnerable, even where I'm at today, I am so much more well-received by whomever I'm sharing with, well, often it's my clients in, in you know group coaching and consulting um, sort of environments, and it's incredible to see that uh, they really they really gravitate and resonate to, toward that authenticity and uh, you know the person who's looked at as the leader in those circumstances being more vulnerable. That being said, you know I wish what I'm about to say is not what I what I have seen firsthand. I think that if someone is starting out in their career, um, they've got a lot of of uh, sort of uphill work to do to be to be looked at as someone who like has all their shit together and really can become a leader in an organization, um, or you know as a startup founder with with clients. So as much as I want to say like it sucked that I suffered silently, I do think that that mask that I wore a lot. And again, like, I this might piss some people off, but I'm just being totally real with everyone. The mask that I wore, I actually think did help drive the success of my business. Because like, let's just, let's just get really basic. If you want to go and ask a client for X amount of dollars to trust you and your work, and you go there and just before you propose the deal, you're like, whoa, I just like can't sleep at night ever. And, you know, I'm like not feeling... 100% that I'm capable of executing this project because of my anxiety, I don't think if you were in the client's shoes, you would trust that person who shared that. However, okay, big however, please keep listening. However, I do think that if you were to position that slightly differently and say, you know, if you wanted to, of course, you don't have to do this. But if a person wanted to position it differently and say, you know, I'm like most humans out there. I'm like 25% of the Canadian population and one in four Americans that I do face feelings of anxiety at times. However, I have created a holistic plan to deal with the feelings of anxiety whenever they spike. In fact, I've actually learned how to master them and it's a huge advantage in my life, right? Then your client's going to look at you much, 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 much differently. So I think it's about how we share and in, um, in what context we share. And the last thing I'll just say about that is that you know every time we're speaking, like literally every time we're speaking, whether it's with a, f- a casual family member or in a business context or here on a podcast, sharing words often are in some way a transaction and a bit of a story. We're always creating stories around the, the words that we share and the tales that we express. So I think that if you can establish your little mini hero journey within your mental health challenges or a mental health illness but to show that you have taken the steps to not to use my own book as a a term here but to own your anxiety then you're going to be looked at differently right because i don't think anxiety is the problem or someone who suffers from any mental illness is the problem i think it is the person who is lazy about how they deal with their mental health challenges. I think that is where there's a lot of room for improvement.
1: I think that was a great breakdown, Julian, especially um, when you were talking about finding safe spaces to actually talk about it and not wearing your emotions on your sleeve. I think right now there's a lot of talk about being vulnerable and authentic. And I think that's, yes, being vulnerable, it's, it's important to kind of see that leaders who are, you know, some of the people that we look up to, like these heroes, they're vulnerable as well. And they, they experience the same things that we do. But I think if you are somebody who's leading an organization, there's a certain image and precedence that you have to hold. And you can't explain what you're going through in the same, in the same lens as just an average person can. So yeah, I think,
2: and Nicole, just to build on that, I would also say, let's be vulnerable, but with parameters.
1: I love that. That's right? That's Absolutely. a great way to put it.
2: Yeah. Let's put parameters around how much we share and let's also hold ourselves accountable. So let me give you a real time example. I just finished this uh, new pilot program um, just entered a few weeks ago and it's all about helping people uh, who are service-based entrepreneurs build their brand, but also build a healthy entrepreneur mindset. It's basically like notable and Oh, your anxiety came together and had like this baby that's going to go and like change the world. And Um, I was going through some major stuff in my life that I was unpacking for the first time ever. Uh, I never knew that I suffered trauma, but it turns out I did. And I was working in real time with a trauma healer while delivering this six week program. We were 15 people in seven countries around the world. I would open up and share uh, a little bit about what I was going through pretty much every week in a very vulnerable, but with parameters type of way. That being said, I also worked my butt off every single week to make sure that when we came online together, I delivered so much value. So if I had just jumped on, and I I think this is the problem of vulnerability in the workplace, it's like everybody wants to be able to be told that, yeah, you can just be totally vulnerable. And I think to a certain degree, you can be, again, with some parameters, but if you still do your job, Right? If I was just like opening up and like gushing my heart out every week, frankly there wouldn't be a 6-week program. They would have left because they weren't getting value, right? Like that's the thing. We we have to we have to remember not to be sort of self-righteous in our sharing. And to remember that we still have a job to do. And 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 the, the 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 silver lining to all this just to sort of like sum it up, I guess, is that so much about anxiety I have found in my research and in you know my clients and also in my, my personal life uh so much of our anxiety is based on our level of self-love and how do you increase self-love well you increase self-love by doing things that you love for yourself so if you love to do a good job, if you love to deliver value to other people, if you love to you know, help others do better at their job, if you love to help people learn how to make an income and make an impact, which for me is a huge thing, then I feel better about myself when I do those things. So when I feel better about myself when I do those things, I also just have way less anxiety because it's hard to have a lot of anxiety when you're super joyful and happy. So just a little like sort of, uh, you know, uh, 360 closure on that. I, I think that's a really important point as well. So yeah, just to pack that up again, you know, be vulnerable with, with parameters and know your audience, i.e. who you're sharing with. And remember that if you are going to share, like if you're crushing it at work or you have crushed it in the past or you're going to crush it, whoever it is that you need a little more love and space from, They're going to give it to you.
0: So much of our anxiety is based on our level of self-love, like you mentioned. And I love that the book is broken down into three sections, because I think self-love starts from feeling good about your body and then nourishing your mind. Was that the wavelength you were on when you split up the book into these three type of sections?
2: Katie, 100% it was. Yeah, the body is the gateway to the mind. And from a place of mindfulness, I think that's when we can sort of like actually open ourselves up a bit more into the spiritual world. I think that is like the sequential order. The body is the easiest thing to work. You know, God willing, you've got a body that that you know you can move, and um, you're able to use it, and it's much easier. To go and you know, move your body, whether it's going for a walk and getting some air or doing a yoga practice or, you know, just crushing it at a boot camp or whatever it is that, that floats your boat, it's way easier to go and do that than it is to tell somebody, okay, now go meditate for 20, 30 minutes if they've never done it before. But if their body is flowing and being worked the right ways, Um, not only will they actually, from a data perspective and research perspective, lessen their anxiety so that it goes from like maybe too much to a healthy amount that they can then go and channel and own, but it also, when they're, when the body is feeling better, it sends all these incredible, um, hormones to the mind. And, you know, those are endorphins, right? Those are dopamine, you know, stuff like that. And when the mind is then feeling better, we can then start working on it. So the the intentionality behind the layout of the three sections was 100% uh, uh, intentional. So
0: I just wanted to know, what do you think is the hardest to conquer? Would it be the mind? Would it be the soul? So we said the body's the easiest, but what would you say is the hardest?
2: That's an amazing question that no one's ever asked me. And my answer is not cut and dry because you know, when it comes to spirituality, the sort of truth about it is that not everybody wants to be spiritual, right? Like I do believe that we all have that within us to become more spiritual. And just for everyone listening, it doesn't mean religious. It, it's spiritual and religion. They can be likened to the same thing or they can be totally different. Mm -hmm. So not everyone wants to necessarily be spiritual. So, that's a bit of a challenging one if someone has no interest in it. However, controlling the mind, controlling the mind is, a, is a very doable thing, but it takes practice. It takes work. People don't realize that their mind is a muscle, just like their biceps or their shoulders or their you know, abs. And if you want to see your mind strengthen, just like your biceps, your shoulders, your abs, you got to work on it right so you know if you find that meditating which is an incredible way to work on your mind is um a little bit daunting and a little bit hard for you that doesn't mean you know leave the quote unquote mental gym right it it means like well what would you do if your biceps were sore with the with the with the 15 pound weights maybe you'd go down to the 10 pound weights right so it's the same idea with, with, with working on the mind. So if 20 minutes of meditation is too much, try 15, try 10, try five, try two, try learning how to breathe and focus your mind on your breath, stuff like that. I I, I do think the mind is a challenging thing. However, I also will say, even though I mentioned a moment ago that the body is the best place or the easiest place to start, um, I think that when a person succeeds in actually owning their mind and Creating a symbiotic, beautiful, nurturing relationship with their mind and therefore their mindset—that uh, is actually the highest high, perhaps that one can one can have in their life, uh, because that's when you're really in control. You know, let's be honest, like all of us here on this podcast—you know—we're in our twenties and thirties. We're we, we we got bodies that work to some degree; they work very well, I'm sure. Um, but our bodies aren't going to be with us forever, right? There will be a day where we're going to be just like our great grandparents were, and it's going to be super hard to use these bodies. So then what, like life falls apart. Now, personally, I want to make sure that my mind by that time, uh, is just so rock solid and just so loving and so abundant and so intentional with the self-talk that I allow to, to, to happen in my mind and to consume me that I'm just getting smarter and more mindful on a daily basis. Uh, and I think that is the real key. I really do.
0: Yeah. and. For all our listeners who, I guess, want to start working on themselves now and want to start with their mind and working on their mind and owning their anxiety. In your book, you talk a lot about meditation and different ways to work on your mind, daily affirmations. Where do you think is a good place to start? If you could pick one thing for someone to do on a consistent basis to work on their mind, what would you recommend?
2: Great question. So I would look at it like this Um, Let's increase our self awareness. Okay, self-awareness could be sort of a synonym for consciousness or mindfulness. And a great way to do this is when you're feeling anxious or stressed, just close your eyes for a moment and invite yourself to get mindful about how you feel. Actually, you know what? Let's do this right now. Everyone listening, I invite you to do this right now. So close your eyes for a moment and just give yourself permission to take your mind on exactly how you feel. What sensations you're feeling? What are your surroundings like? Do you hear anything? What do you hear? How does your heart feel? How does your stomach feel? Do you have butterflies or are you super at peace? If you have any anxious feelings or stress in your life right now, then just see it, but don't put meaning on it. And honor yourself for giving yourself permission to see it. So this is self-awareness. This is mindfulness, right? And now just take a moment and give yourself the opportunity to take one big, deep breath from your nose to your belly. Inhale from your nose. Let the belly expand for one, two, three. And through your nose, nice and gently exhale for one, two, three. Okay. That was our mini mini little self-awareness mindfulness exercise. So- That can really make a huge world of difference. And all that is, again, is self-awareness. And by giving yourself the space to just sort of zone in, then you all of a sudden have a chance to get to know yourself much better. And you can learn about, you know, what might be stimulating you in in the ways you don't want to be stimulated right now. Uh, A great example that I'd like to add to this is, you know, let's say you're feeling a bit anxious. And you've got music playing in the background. If you do this little simple exercise we just did, in zoning in on all that is happening around you and in you, you'll notice what kind of music is playing. And you might find that the music you're playing is not serving you, given where your energy is right now. Right? If you've got too much energy, that you just can't sit down at at your desk, but you've got to get some work done and you're listening to electronic dance music or some like hardcore, like in the club hip hop, that ain't gonna help you calm down. And at the same time, if you are, you know, bouncing from app to app, to email, to text, to app, to app, to phone call, you get the idea. That's not gonna help you either. All that stimulation is gonna do is just get you more wound up. So by taking a moment to become more self-aware and notice, what might be triggering us? We then get in the driver's seat of owning our mind and owning our anxiety. And when we can own our anxiety in our mind, we get into the position where we can start to own our lives.
1: Julian, there was there was so many great nuggets of wisdom in there, especially about the interception. And um, interception, for those of you who don't know, is when you are observing what's going on inside of your body. To um, so something that I thought about when you were. When we were doing the breathing exercises. I noticed my heart rate was a little bit elevated. And I'm I, I tried not to like apply a cause to it, but I have a ton of different things going on in my life. So I know that it's just a natural reaction to how my body feels. Um and you're hosting a podcast. I, yeah. And, and I sometimes have been feeling really overwhelmed with all these different things going on. And um, I want to break down like how somebody can can start paying attention to their heart rate, um, and how that can basically bring to your awareness the fact that you are experiencing anxiety and it is a form of stress or it's a stress response. And something that I want to dig into a little bit is how finances can affect mental health, because a lot of people, 50% of Canadians actually experience financially induced stress or stress that is caused by their finances. Um, I was looking at some Stats Canada research earlier, and 40% of Canadians agree that levels of debt negatively affect their mental health. So if anybody's listening to this and is going through some of those same things and has felt their heart rate become elevated, I want us to dig into how their finances can affect and induce anxiety.
2: Absolutely. First things first, I think pausing to try to check in on your breath and giving yourself the opportunity to do a calming breathing exercise is huge. Today, I had a bunch of things actually happening at once, and I found that my heart was just going too fast. I literally sat on my balcony, and I put on the timer on my phone, and I started to meditate. Everybody, the first few minutes of most meditations, if you are trying to slow down your heart or feel less anxious, you will think it's not working. Don't give up. You're going to be like, why am I here? What am I doing? This isn't working. I got stuff to do. Just... Trust me and trust your body that it will slow down your heart rate. Do the nose to belly breathing. I talk a lot about it in my book and it's very, very helpful. Um, That's huge. First of all, because when we start to look at things like finances and mental health, we want to be at a place where like our baseline level of anxiety is not super high because if it's super high, you're not going to be able to actually do any effective work. So let's first slow down the heart and recenter. From there, listen. Let's get real for a second. We're in the Western world over here, and it's extremely focused on materialism, and it's expensive. So, the first question is to you know make a agreement, make an agreement with yourself. I think that you know you want to play this game, and you're good with the Western world. If you're in the Western world and you're choosing to be here, let that choice first and foremost empower you once you've decided that you do want to be in this Western world and play this game that, you know, we play, which is, you know, we're, we're, we're playing in a very expensive uh, <laughs> court, if you will, then, you know, let that empower you. You're here because you want to be here or because your family's here or because your kids are here or because your partner's here, whatever it is, you still are making a choice. You don't have to be here because your family's here. You choose to be, here. you could go and, you know, become, Disconnected from your family, but you're choosing not to. For example, everything we do is a choice. So you're choosing. Let that empower you. From a place of empowerment, I want you to then allow yourself to zone in on your self-talk. And are you beating yourself up all day that you're not savvy with finances, that you make poor financial decisions, that you suck because you're in debt, or whatever the case is? If you are, you need to get strong and not allow yourself to speak to yourself like that because that isn't helping you actually learn and grow from this particular situation that you find yourself in. It's only making it much worse. It's almost impossible, just for the record, to ever get out of any type of challenge that we have if we're mentally beating ourselves up along the way. Okay, so change the dialogue to that of which serves you and gives yourself a little bit of compassion and empathy and patience about where you are financially. Okay, and then from there, there's a few steps that I can uh, share that I also speak about in the book that I really think will help you sort of break down these bigger ideas into step-by-step action. So number one is know your monthly spend. So literally, I invite you to look at what you spend in a given month, okay? Like look at your mortgage or look at your rent, look at your car payments, look at your transportation costs, whatever it is, food, you know, children or or you know, clothing, like whatever it is, calculate it. And it might be a bit of an arduous process, but it will serve you. Now, why will it serve you? Because you see my friends, clarity is everything. So if you don't have clarity around how much it is that you spend, then you'll never be able to make a change from the driver's seat. And we need to make changes always in our lives from the driver's seat, right? From a place of abundance. And abundance is coupled with knowledge not from a place of scarcity, which is uncertainty. So the second step would be to analyze your actual spending. So once you know what you're spending, analyze the things you're spending money on. And once you know what you're spending money on, you can then dissect it with clarity. And clarity is key. So once you know, you know if you want to slash need to make any changes. And the last step from there is then to create a financial strategy. And for everyone listening who's like, I don't know about finances, that's okay. There are people in your network and there are professionals that can very easily help you with a very simple budget to give you clarity on how much you can be spending in a responsible way. So don't stress that at all. All right. And once you're kind of in this place now, the next thing, the last thing is to sort of ask yourself, am I cool with this? Does this work with me? And if it doesn't work with you, well, all my entrepreneurs out there, you understand the mindset of, well, I am then going to figure out how to make more money. And that's what entrepreneurs do. Or they accept that for now, I'm going to spend less because I'm starting this thing up and I'm not making a lot of money or any money, or I'm in debt, right? Or when it comes to all my friends who are employed, You know, when you start to see how much you're spending, you also can then decide, well, this job is going to allow me this quality of life or it's not. And again, you now hold the cards. You get to decide if the job is going to be right for you or wrong for you based on how much you want to spend and how much you earn. I think if you can tell there's a pattern here, the pattern is create a life of clarity by shining the light on the unknown. And when we shine the light on the unknown in all aspects of our lives, we then own our anxiety because anxiety generally stems from fear of the unknown.
1: Definitely, Julian. I actually want to bring up, so you, you mentioned how if somebody's come across the third step and they're not sure Where they can go to make some of these financial changes. Well, they've they've come to the right place because that's what Katie and I strive to do. So they're definitely in the right place. We're here to help. Um, But I do want to ask so we talk about clarity, shining the light on the unknown. How does someone make clear financial choices that empower them to own their finances while owning their anxiety? How do they know where to start and what those clear choices are? So we talked about analyzing their spending, but um, there's one key thing that I want to dig into, and it's it's the lifestyle piece and understanding where you want to be in life. Um, and this is something that Katie and I talk about all the time, the scarcity versus abundance mindset. So how do we break down those internal dialogues, do a, a reflection exercise and understand what clear choices we need to make to get to where we want to be? I know there was a lot in that question to unpack.
2: No, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, yeah, it's, it's so important to visualize, you know, where you are now, where you want to be in a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, and maybe even further into the future. I mean, that's a bit of, that's more fun than, than, than real. I think when you go a lot past 10 years, but y'all get the idea. It's important to actually ask yourself where you want to go and then how will you get there? And unless you do, that type of visualization work uh, coupled with putting pen to paper or opening up your spreadsheet, you're never going to really know what you need to earn. I like to figure out where I want to be and then reverse engineer. And as you reverse engineer, i.e., work your way backwards, you then can start to see well, you know, these are the types of things that I can be doing to help me get there. Right. Or my goals are just totally unrealistic. But you're gonna be able to decide with some sort of education and clarity and at least an educated assumption about where you really need to be right now in order to go where you want to go in the future.
0: One of the things that I appreciated and that I took from your book, and that me and Nika also like to stress is you know, once you get some clarity on where you want to be and you do analyze your spending like you previously talked about, it's important to then create a strategy and set up a plan to reach your goals. And what me and Mika like to do and what we stress on the podcast is um, a way of doing this is by creating budgets and having budget templates and just being really aware of what you're putting your money towards and then looking for ways to cut back.
1: I think cutting back is a really important aspect, but something that Julian, you mentioned is working towards increasing your income. And a great way to do that is to become an entrepreneur, is to start a business because you're in control of how much money you can actually bring in. And then the world is your oyster. So something that I want to ask you, Julian, once you do become an entrepreneur, once you make it into that next level of um, of financial freedom... How do you deal with financial stressors as an entrepreneur? And maybe if you remember your notable days, or even, I mean, you're you're still an entrepreneur, Julian. You you do a lot for the for the world, but how do you deal with financial stressors now? And is it different from when you're in a scarcity mindset?
2: Yeah, it's night and day different. If you have a scarcity mindset, the financial stressors will really come across as much more challenging than if you're in an abundant mindset, right? The scarcity mindset says, well, I don't have enough and I, 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 I won't make enough. But the scarcity, excuse me, the abundant mindset says, I will just go and make more money. There is an infinite amount of, of, of you know, money to be earned in this world. Um, yes. Right? There's an infinite amount of resources out there. It's just a matter of how we look at it, right? And it's, I mean, I think scarcity and abundant uh, conversations are key to really almost every aspect of life. Like I actually obsess about if I'm looking at things in life, not just finance, just in general, scarcity or abundance. And I try to always like flip my own thinking to go into the abundant place because the abundant way of thinking is all about love and it's all about being limitless. And the scarcity is about fear, right? And putting some sort of like restriction or cap on what you can do and who you can be. So from an entrepreneurial perspective, entrepreneurs can't think from a place of scarcity or else they're not going to be a successful entrepreneur for long. It's important to really believe that there's no limit and to, you know, push yourself to, to work toward that. And, you know, that being said, I know lots of entrepreneurs who find a way to make X amount of dollars a year and like that actually is enough for them because they're happy and in that in that in that in that um, threshold of revenue and you know that's fine that's totally amazing and I know a lot of people that have jobs that are like I like what I'm earning and I like my benefits and that's cool right so it depends on what a person really wants um, my work today is much more focused on service-based entrepreneurs. So what I mean by that are people who are actually doing a service, right? That generally involves their expertise, whether it's teachers, coaches, therapists, healers, instructors, consultants. And I help them learn how to build their brand uh, so that they can make a really healthy income and an amazing impact for the world, while at the same time building a healthy entrepreneur mindset right? So I'm the first to tell them that there's no limit to what you can earn. And at the same time, how much do you want to earn? Because let's work our way backwards.
0: So Julian, let me ask you, what is your take on the impact of social media on people's perception of financial health? Because you know, everyone seems today on social media to be an entrepreneur who's thriving and making money. And that, that can take a toll on one's like mental health and, and anxiety when they're not in the same place.
2: Yeah, I love when um, I see the odd post that's like the real like behind the scenes post, which is like, you know, haven't slept more than four hours uh, in debt, highly anxious, um, haven't seen my partner in a week, uh, <laughs> forgot to call my parents. Like that's entrepreneurship. For a lot of people, I, lo- I just love the realness. Of course, it doesn't have to be that hard. Um, and hopefully once people get out of the startup phase, it's not that hard. Um, and hopefully when they're in the startup phase, they don't make the, all those same mistakes that I once made and that that person who posts such real shit is currently making. But um, yeah, look, I think, I think social media needs to be looked at with a lot of discernment and self-control because it can, it can suck us in, in a big way. Uh, You know, we've all heard this before. I'll say it again. It's the highlight reel of life for most people, right? I actually try to not make it about a highlight reel of my life. And I also try to tell my clients, you know, like share authentically and vulnerably, but add value um, because that is how we are real with our audience and that's how we also make a difference in this world right um a lot of people are out there kind of gloating and showing off and as much as you know they might be doing that because they think it's good for their business or they think it helps brand them or maybe they just have like a major ego issue and they feel they need to do it so that they're looked at more favorably Um, remember everyone your ego is your enemy uh great book yeah (laughs) <laughs> Great book, and it's so—it's just—it's so true. Your ego is your enemy. Um, whatever it is, whatever causes someone to want to like show off online, um, you know, you can be different. You—you you don't have to—you don't have to be another person who shows off online. Like, I really believe that that if we have a platform that is so massive that can touch other people, we should use it for positive. So, ask yourself if what I'm putting out there adding value, changing lives, inspiring even one person. And if it's not, like, think about your caption. Think about the photo. Like, you really have to post it, right? That's, that's the first thing. And the second thing is just, you know, going back to your original question, uh, from a user experience perspective, if the people you're following are making you feel like shit, stop following them. You know, you don't have to follow the person who makes you feel jealous when you see their exotic photos every time you go on Insta right? Or you silently creep their story and you're like, oh my God, FML, what am I doing with my life? If, unless that inspires you. Um, and by the way, it can even if instinctively it doesn't, you can easily have a conversation with yourself to reframe what a better is making you feel jealous or less than and ask yourself if you can then change it to get inspired by it. But if you can't, maybe you're not there right now, right? Then there's, you're allowed to unfollow people. So just, just be weary, my friends. Be so freaking weary that every time you allow any external stimuli into your mind, it is impacting you, and it's impacting your thoughts, it's impacting your beliefs, and then it will impact your actions, and your actions will create your life. That was such
1: a great summary of one of the the actual the sections that you've got in your in your book under um, Own Your Mind, just limiting social media use in general, but also unfollowing people. I think Instagram has a new feature now where you can mute people's stories. Let's say it's somebody that you're friends with, but you're just, you're annoyed with their content or it doesn't serve you and you don't want to be rude. You can mute them and then you just don't have to expose yourself to it. Amazing. So it's, it's a great feature, um, but I think just spending less time doing useless things on the app is, is a great place to start. Something that Katie and I have been working towards is anytime we find ourselves actively scrolling, we try to switch our thinking right away and say, okay, I could be using this time to create content. So why don't we focus on creating more content than we consume? And it's been serving us really well recently. So it's been a good mantra that's uh, kept us going
2: for 20 Yeah, Nicole, Katie, that's awesome. And, you know, if somebody has three minutes to, you know, go use the restroom or, you know, stretch their legs. Like instead of just going on social media, if you were to intentionally put something positive into your mind, you know, read a page of a book or quickly listen to like a minute of a podcast, just just try it. Watch what happens to your mind. Watch what, you know, on that, watch what happens to your mind if you don't fire up your phone first thing in the morning. And instead you go and you read a page of a positive book. Just watch what happens with your mind and your entire vibration for the day. It's actually quite, it's quite frankly, it's incredible how different everything looks and how we show up. If we're using those little breaks of time or those little like chapters or, or, or you know, periods of time to put something positive inside our minds. It's, it's, it's so life-changing and so basic at the same time. It's, it's really incredible.
1: Hmm. And how you set up your space as well can really have a big impact on that. Like something that I've been doing for the past couple of years is not having my phone in my room. So I have it in my office. And as I um, wake up in the morning, the first stop that I have and the way that I've designed my space is I have a meditation pillow and then I have the daily stoic. And it's a great way to start the day if anybody is looking for a new morning routine. Um, Julian, like what you were talking about, and not having to reach for your phone first thing. If you reach for this book, they've got a little short entry. Uh, Ryan Holiday actually put together the book, but it's got a short entry from one of the Stoic philosopher thinkers, and then a commentary on how that applies to modern day. So you start off your day, if, you, if you're not somebody that likes to meditate, just with a reflection about the kind of person that you want to be and the kind of world that you want to live in. So there's a little book recommendation for you guys if you're looking for a new morning routine. But another great book recommendation um, for anybody that is still listening to this is Julian's book, Own Your Anxiety. We're going to put a link to it uh, in the show notes for anybody that wants to go on Amazon and actually um, purchase it or go on Audible. Like It's a great um, book to listen to as well. Um, and I swear my voice
2: is a little better on that audio book because right now I'm fighting a bit of a cold. So uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: All good, Julian. The voice was great. And we we really appreciate your time and energy, like I said, and, and you sharing all of your thoughts of wisdom and all the nuggets uh, and truth bombs, to be frank, that you shared with us. So appreciate uh, your energy as always, Julian. Thank you. And I'm going to yeah. let you get back to your day.
0: Yeah, and thank you. You even through this podcast, you really helped me, and I'm sure you've really helped a lot of people. So again, thank you genuinely, oh, thank from the bottom you. of our hearts. And we hope to have you on again soon.
2: That means a lot. I really appreciate it. Uh, you know, I was a little more uh, like to the point and blunt on this podcast, and I have been on others. And I just think the world needs to hear it. Uh, you know, in a, in a different type of way right now than than perhaps even a year ago. So. I want to deliver that if I can and hopefully, you know, inspire people with, um, with, 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 with love, but with a realness as well. Um, and I think that's also partially just because of, of the work I'm doing now with, you know, helping these service-based entrepreneurs build their brand and their mindset. You know, you can't, um, you can't live in a fairy tale if you really want to live the life of your dreams. Like the dream is not a fairy tale. So, I think it's about you know jumping into the wavy waters of life but having your life jacket on so that those those waves don't freak you out like you'll survive you're going to be okay in fact you can even thrive however we need the tools you know and the tools are having really real conversations uh like this that's how we start to be awakened to the tools so anyway i'm really glad that it resonated with you both and hopefully it did with all of your listeners as well